So today we'll start a new series through the summer um, called Questions. And I started this a couple weeks ago, or a couple months ago actually, taking questions from you guys that you would like to have answered. And so over, over the last several months, I've been getting questions emailed and on the communication cards, um, asking questions about whatever the interest was. And then I started taking uh, those and studying it and then trying to form a message behind it to kind of answer some of the questions that you have. What's interesting is probably 60% or 70% had to deal with relationships, which was uh, kind of interesting. Marital relationships, extended relationships, conflict stuff, equally yoked, equally yoked unequally yoked. Um, so we'll, we'll over that over the next several weeks, we'll take a look at that and uh, help you out. And as I thought about it and I started writing, I wrote this message a month ago or so, um, I thought about the time that I spend on the phone with people or in, in conferences, and I would say probably 60-70% of that time is dealing with conflicts with relationships, how to get along with people and stuff like that. So I think it all fit in. I think we all have struggles with relationships, right? Whether you're good looking, tall, right? Like me, handsome, smart, a little overweight from eating too much on the boat, we all have conflicts in, in with people. Would you agree with that? We live in a broken world, and I think because of a, a broken world that we live in, we're going to have conflicts with people. And so today I want to share with you about kind of resolving conflicts uh, in our life. And so if you have your outline in your program, let's go ahead and open it up, and we're going to fill in the blanks. This is one of those messages where if you sit here today and you're like, you know what, all my relationships are absolutely wonderful. Let me, let me just kind of share with you. You need to fill in the blanks and you need to hold on to it somewhere in your, in your uh, car or in your office because in the near future, you're going to have a conflict with someone. And you're going to be going, man, what did that little guy say on that Sunday when he got back? You know, and, and, and you're going to want to go back over it. Now, look with me at the very top of your outline. I think the Bible is incredibly honest about it. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. And I think we can all relate to the first part of it. It says, do not repay evil for evil. Now, how many of us wish that that wasn't the case? Isn't it nice when someone unloads on you that you'd like to just clear the plow with them? Wouldn't, isn't that... Come on, be honest. It's good to be honest. Sure it is, right? And then you come across the verse like that and you're like, oh man, okay. So don't repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, right? Verse 18, and here's two key uh, phrases to circle. If it is possible, okay? If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, all right? So circle that word you, so if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, okay? So as the Bible is incredibly clear and incredibly honest, and God understands that he, he has a broken humanity, he recognizes that we are going to have conflict with people. And as, as far as it depends on you, you can't control them. That's part of the problem why you have conflict is because you're trying to control them. You can only control you. You're only responsible for your behavior. And so as far as it depends on you, you need to live at peace with everyone. 
So let me just kind of say this, and we'll look at this next week as we look at boundaries in dysfunctional people's lives. How do you, how do you have boundaries and healthy relationships with them? Here's the reality. There are some people in your life and in my life who it is, it is going to be impossible to live at peace with. Okay? That's what the text implies. That there are some people who will argue with a fence post. Don't look at them. Okay? Don't, don't, don't go like this, right? I don't want any of that stuff. <clears throat> all right? But, but we all recognize that. That there are some people that regardless of what you do, it's impossible to have a healthy relationship with. But as long as it's possible on your side and you're, you're responsible for your, rea- your actions and your reactions, we are to live at, at peace with everyone. Well, why? And I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on this because we're going to look at seven principles on resolving conflict. But there are, as a result of having conflicts, there's some damages that take place. In your outline, the damage of unresolved conflicts. And there are two primary areas that we have problems with. The first one is, is it blocks my fellowship with God. Now, we're not talking about salvation, right? Your salvation is secure in what Christ has done with, uh, for you. But when you have conflict with someone else, it hinders or it blocks that right relationship with God. All right? There, there's, there's issues that struggle in you. You're still going to heaven. You still love Jesus. Okay, we got all that part. But when it comes to that fellowship with the Lord, it is, it is hindered. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Verse 38, this is the first and greatest commandment. And verse 39, the second one is this, love those people who are just like you. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? So there, there is, when we, have, when we have conflict with other people, it hinders that relationship. The second idea is this, and this is a huge one when you look at your own prayer life, is that it hinders my prayer life. So if you sit here today and you're wondering about prayers being answered, you know, sometimes you need to step back and look and see, do you have conflict with other people? And again, there are going to be some folks, which we'll look at next week, there are going to be some folks that it is impossible to have a healthy relationship. But we're talking about primarily folks that you can have a healthy relationship with that we need to make sure that we're right in, uh, with them. In First Peter, it talks about husbands having that right relationship with their wives. And this goes both ways. This isn't just husbands, you know, that this is something you need to do. It's both male and female. That when we don't have unity in the home, and we don't have unity with our spouse, it hinders our prayer life. And so we need to make sure that our, our relationship is right. So this is why it's important in as we sit here today and we know that we have lives filled with conflict with friends and family members, we need to address it because it hinders our relationship with the Lord and it hinders our prayer life as we go through, all right? So today I want to give you seven principles. The first one is going to be the longest. Don't get, don't get scared and go, man, he hasn't spoken two weeks, so he's going to tell us everything that he didn't tell us the last couple of weeks and we're going to be here till three. You won't be here till three, 2.50, all right, so just relax and all is good. And I ate enough on the boat that I'm not going to get hunger pains and I got plenty of leftovers and, and, and reserves. I'm in great shape. All right, you guys in good shape? Number one, here is the very first step that we need to look at when it comes to resolving conflict with folks that we can have healthy relationships. 
that we need to take the initiative. It is on us to be peacemakers. As followers of Christ, which we're going to see at the end of the message, Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. That we need to take the initiative. So we don't need to deny it. We don't need to sweep it under the rug. If there is a pink elephant in the room, call it what it is. Recognize that there's a conflict. And then you need to begin to take the initiative to do it. And we're going to give you some steps on how to do that. So we don't ignore it. We don't act like it isn't there. We don't act like it's going to just go away by itself because it doesn't. There's two phrases that we use in our, in our language, and we're going to look at both of them. One of them is this, that time heals all pain, right? That is not true. If that was true, all you would need to do when you're sick is just to go to the waiting room at the hospital. You would never have to see the physician. And if you just waited there long enough, you would be healed, Okay? That is not the case. And we recognize that. Because as we allow things to just sit there, they fester and it gets worse. Right? Now, time will will heal some conflict. Because there are some things that we argue about that aren't worth arguing about. And in those cases, that's the truth. But there are issues that need to be resolved That if we just sweep them under the rug and we deny the pink elephant in the room, they are not going to just go away. Alright? So in your outline, the only way to resolve conflict is to face it. And let me just kind of throw this out to you who are Christ followers. Christians, Christ followers, typically do not like conflict. We try to avoid it at all costs. Right. Now, there are a few who are crazy makers, right? and you know who those are. Those are the ones who will argue with a fence post, and they just can't wait to find an argument somewhere. Okay? But the vast majority of, of, of folks, and this isn't just for Christ followers, this is really for all, we, we typically don't like to have conflict where we're going to have to resolve uh, some issue. And here's the reason why. What stops us from facing conflict is fear. We do not want to be vulnerable. We do not want to be open. We do not want to expose our emotions. And so fear, and it's not in your outline, you'll have to fill it in. Fear reveals itself in three ways. So if you sit here today and you're like, well, I don't know if I'm filled with fear in an area of conflict. And here's the three ways that fear will reveal itself. The first one is, you write it on the side, is that you will distance yourself from the person. You go into hiding. You alienate yourself. You don't want to be around them. You don't want to be near them. And so, fear causes us to withdraw or to isolate. Okay? The second one is, fear will also reveal itself where we will become very defensive. And that's where we want to defend ourselves. And we go on the attack. And we'll look at that. We, we want to place blame. It's not my fault, it's your fault. You always, you never, those types of things. And we go after on the attack and we, we become very defensive. And then the third one is, is that we will become very demanding. We want to have the last word. You ever talk with somebody like that? 
And you say, this, this conversation is over. Yeah, but, right? And they got to get that last word in, right? And they're very demanding because they want to control. They want to control the environment. They want to control the, the relationship. They want to control what's taking place. So when you have a person who either distances himself, and this isn't all three of them. It could be one or, or, or all three. But when they, when they distance themselves, they become very defensive and very controlling. Fear is driving them. That's fear that's driving them. And as a result of it, they don't want to resolve the conflict. All right? Now look with me in, in first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Here's a great verse to hang from your rearview mirror if this is where you're at. God did not give us a spirit of what? Fear and timidity. Right? So if you sit here today and you recognize that fear is in that running in the background of your life when it comes to resolving conflict, God did not give you that spirit. That is not of God. But He gave us a spirit of what? Power and of love and of self-disciplined, or some translations will say a sound mind. Okay? So if we're going to resolve conflict, get this. This is... The whole message. You've got to wring yourself out and allow the Spirit of God to invade who you are and in your life. Because you're going to need power to overcome the fear. You're going to need a huge dose of L-O-V-E to deal with the situation. And you're going to need self-discipline or a sound mind. Well, why? Well, because the moment that they start throwing WMDs at you, words of mass destruction, you're going to need to hold on to your tongue. Right? And so as we recognize, as we get going, this is a verse that you've got to just absolutely submerge yourself in. Get rid of the fear, because that's not of God. Allow the Spirit of God, the power of God to come into your life, the love of God to come in, and where you have the, the, the self-control that invades your life. If you do not take that verse and ingest it into your life, you will not be able to resolve conflict in your life. You will end up fighting from the flesh, and as a result, the conflict will never uh, go away. So here's some things to think about. All right? <clears throat> Things to think about, to keep in mind. There are three areas that are important. And when I have, again, meetings afterward, and I typically will hear about how things explode, right? Now, remember, I've shared with you before, most of my phone calls aren't, hey, Pastor Dan, life is going so well, everything is wonderful, my kids behave, our marriage is perfect, I got money, everything is terrific. I don't typically hear those. I know they're out there, but I usually hear the wheels have fallen off the wagon, it's on fire, I'm ready to throttle my kids, right? And my marriage isn't going so well. Those are the phone calls I typically get, all right? So, so here are three things that I've written down when it comes to resolving conflicts in it. Here it is. The first one is, there is a right time for everything. Would you agree with that? There is a right time for everything. Resolving conflict, timing is everything. When a person comes in from work or from life and their hair is disheveled, they got a look on their face like they just had the worst day in their whole life, it's not the time 
to discuss problems in the house. Okay? I know you want to, but that's where self-discipline comes in. It's not the time to unload. There is a time for everything, and we need to make sure that we have the right perspective. Now look what Jesus said in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. He says, therefore, if you, go, uh, uh, if you are offering your gift at the altar, in other words, you've come to church, right? You're sitting, you sung the songs, you prayed the prayer, you're listening to the message being taught. <clears throat> And you remember that your brother has something against you. Now, this goes both ways. So, Jesus is implying that you're sitting here today and you recognize that someone has something against you. Not you against them. But that someone has something against you. Now, I'm going to say to it, it goes both ways. If you're sitting here today and you recognize as we bring up the word conflict and instantly in your mind someone's face shows up, then you have an issue that you need to resolve. Look, look what Jesus says. And you remember that your brother has something against you. Verse 24, leave your gift there in front of the altar. So just go ahead and bring your offering envelope here and we're going to dismiss you. You're going to leave. Don't be embarrassed. You're just going to leave, right? Because you're going to go resolve the conflict. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek. <clears throat> First go and reconcile with your brother. Look what the verse says. Then come and offer your gift. Okay? Now, this is the importance of resolving conflict with people. Jesus said, for some people, it's more important that they're resolving the conflict than they are sitting in a church worshiping the Lord. That's how important it is. Well, why? Because it hinders my relationship with the Lord and it hinders my prayer life with the Lord. Right? And so that there is a right time. And just to kind of put it in perspective, Jesus is saying, listen, it's a top priority. Okay? Now, we need to make sure that everything is working in the sense of time, that you're not doing it at an improper time. But you do need to make sure that you are going to address it in the very near future. Second idea is there's a right place. Right? There's a right place. And you want to make sure that when you're going to, to have this, uh, this uh, time of resolving the conflict, that it's a relaxing area, the kids aren't off the hook, things aren't going crazy. You want to make sure that you kind of have neutral ground. Uh, I oftentimes say this to folks, if it's a conflict, you want, you want to make sure that you're controlling the environment. You know, what I mean by this is that if, if you think that it could go sideways and it could go bad and you're going to have to dismiss yourself a bit early, then I would, re I would say to you that you need to go and meet them at a place where that if the conversation goes bad, you can say, I love you, I wish the best for you, but I'm going to have to excuse myself. If you do it at your house, then you're going to have to kick them out. And that's a whole new problem. Right? So it's good to control the environment. And I don't mean being controlling. I mean just being able to dismiss yourself without it being adding an extra thing. You don't want to say, and if you don't leave, I'm going to call the cops and they're going to get you out of here. That's not going to help the relationship move along. Right? You feel me on that one? All right. And then the third one is this. A right attitude covered with prayer. You need to make sure that you have the right attitude and it's covered with prayer that you've thought through, you've prayed through, you've really spent time with the Lord and allowing the Spirit of God to kind of purge you 
of some of your issues. Now we're going to get into number two. Number two is that you confess your part of the conflict. And I already know the answer. It's none of your fault. I already heard, I heard the argument, right? It is not your fault, and if so-and-so would just get their act together, everything would be, would be okay. Well, if you can just take the, 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 the 1% and own it, that would be fine. All right? So you need to make sure that you own whatever the part of the conflict is in your life. All of us have blind spots. Would you agree with that? You ever driven behind a, a big rig? On the back of the trailer, oftentimes there will be a sign that says, if you cannot see my side mirrors, I cannot see you. Right? And if you ever have your wife help you back the trailer in when you're camping, right? I used to drive a truck and my wife would get right behind the trailer and she's like... Right? And then she'd come, stop, there's a tree! And it's like, honey... Okay, let's get this over, right? Here we go. If you cannot see my handsome face in the mirrors, I can't see you, all right? And so, you know how that works? Have you ever been in the campground and you hear, what, this is a total side story. We were, we were camping up in Washington State one time and this guy pulls in this huge fifth wheel. And I don't think he'd ever driven a fifth wheel. And so he backs this thing in and he's, you know, ee, uh, ee, uh, ee, uh, ee. and I'm sitting there just kind of watching thinking, okay, should I go help this guy out? And all of a sudden, man, they started screaming. I told you if I can't see you. I looked at my wife. I said, hey, we had that conversation before. <laughs> so some guys came over and he's like, hey, let, let us help out. And so we just kind of, the lady's like, oh, thank you. I think I'll go to the restroom. It's like, good idea. So we got the guy in the, tray, in the, in the spot. So anyway, the idea is this. We all have blind spots, but we don't recognize it. Do you agree with that? Sure. So look what Jesus said. Total play on words. It's, it's actually hilarious. He says in Matthew chapter 7, he says, Why do you look at the speck of dust in your, in your brother's eye and pay no attention to, and the translation would be a telephone pole. So, I mean, imagine, this is kind of comedy, right? Imagine that Jesus is saying, listen, you've got to get a microscope to see the speck in your brother's eye. And you got this 60-foot pole sticking out of your own eye, okay? Think about how silly you are to walk around with this big pole saying to your brother, can you pull your eyelid down so I could see the speck? And he's going, well, what about the tree growing out of your eye, right? So Jesus has this kind of, you know, this play on words that makes it funny. And he goes on and he says, he says, how can you say to your brother... Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take out the plank in your own eye, then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye, right? So all of us have, we all have blind spots in our relationships. And we all think that we're perfect and we all think we're wonderful and if the world was just like us, everyone would get along and the news would be boring and all that kind of stuff. We all get that, right? And you lay in bed and you think how lucky your spouse is that they married you and you, you know, all that kind of stuff. Get over yourself. You got issues yourself. You got blind spots. And Jesus is just saying, listen, make sure that you own those. Make sure that you take a hard look 
at yourself. All right. So, so oftentimes attorneys, when it comes to divorce, you know the number one cause of, of divorce in California. You know what it is? You're, everyone's going to say money, right? It's not. That's not it. You know the number one cause that people write on the on the list? Incompatibility. Right. Well, I hate to say this, but that is a misnomer, and it's not a fact because the reality is there is no one on the face of this earth that is incompatible with anybody. Would you agree with that? You're not even compatible with yourself. Isn't it true? You ever, have you ever sat there and tried to figure out what you want to eat for lunch? Absolutely, right? You're not compatible with yourself. So as long as you're self-centered, you're not compatible. But if you're other-centered, you're compatible. You can take two people... And they can either be compatible or not based on their attitude about the other person. Right? And so Jesus is just saying, hey, look at yourself. Because if you live in the selfish world, you're not going to be compatible. You have blind spots in your life. All right? You know, when I was gone on vacation, I did not think about you guys one day. Right? Actually, I did. I was thinking about what you could do for me in increasing my vacation time. Right? So, so the reality is us, because we're flawed human beings, we oftentimes think of what other people could do for us, not what we could do for them. Right? So just make sure that you're taking a hard look at yourself. Number three is that you listen for hurt. You listen for hurt in the conversation. And again, this is in counseling. I've done this several times. It is very interesting to hear two, two husbands and wives or a husband and wife talk and then ask the other person, now what did you hear your spouse say? And then they'll say something. It's like, where did you get that at? Right? Now what they typically will do is they will parrot the words. Well, she said, he said, da 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 and it's like, no, that's not how you have conversation. And guys, this is especially true for us with women. You don't listen to the words. You listen to the emotion behind the words. You, you, because the reality is there's an emotion in a woman that is creating the words that are forming the words. And if you listen to the words, you're going to get stuck in logic. And you're going to be thinking, well, there are seven reasons why you're wrong. Okay, does any guy know that story? You you ladies are going, he usually has nine, right? He's going easy on you, right? But if you listen to the emotion or the hurt behind the words, it'll give you a clearer picture of really what's going on in the relationship, all right? So I'm not saying don't listen to the words, but I'm saying listen to the hurt behind it. So how do you do that? And look at James chapter 1, verse 19. Be quick to speak, to shut her up, and say your part. You're like, that's in there? <laughs> Woohoo! Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Be honest. In, in conflict resolution, we're usually quick to speak, quick to become angry, and very rarely do we listen to what's taking place. Would you agree with that? Some of you guys are experts at the pause. When she pauses or he pauses, 
you're right in there. Right? And you're filling up the time at that point. And so we need to make sure that we're quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, and we're able to listen to the hurt behind the words that are taking place. Number four, consider their perspective. Consider their perspective. An easy way to put it is, hey, put your feet into their shoes. You know, sometimes they may be going through some things in life and that's the reason why you're having problems. Hurting people hurt people. If you're being hurt by someone, it's because someone has hurt them. And if you're hurting someone, it's because you have been hurt. And so hurting people hurt people. Look at Philippians chapter 2. It says this, Each of you should look not only at your own interests, but at the interest of others, and your attitude should be the same as Christ, uh, as Christ Jesus. That word look is the word skopos in the Greek, and it actually means like microscope. Okay, It means to really focus in on a very small area and pay, pay close attention to it. Now look, look what he says there. Paul says, he says that we need to look not at our own interest, but at the interest of others. And when we look at the interest of others, what is our attitude like? Or who's our attitude like? Who, Christ. When we, look, when we look at life and we just f- focus on ourselves, think about who we are mimicking. Right? Just you know, look, look at the fall in, the gar- in, in uh, Satan's fall. Part of it was pride, selfishness, right? And, and so when we're, when we're focused on others, we're more Christ-like than when we're focused on ourselves. Number five is tell the truth tactfully. And if I've heard this, I've heard it a thousand times. Yeah, but I'm just an uneducated, simple person. I just tell them the way it is. In which case I respond and say, well, when you end up living your life and no one wants to come and visit you, there you have it, right? That's, that's crazy to think that you have to just say the truth in a harsh way because you're somehow simple, right? That, that doesn't make sense. You don't like it when someone unloads on you, so why do you think that it would be okay for, for you to do it to someone else? Look what Proverbs says. Reckless words pierce like a sword. But the tongue of the wise brings, what's it bring? Healing. Two, two phrases I said, time will heal all pain and sticks and stones will break our bones but names will never hurt, hurt us. Those are two stories that are absolute lies. You sit here today and I sit here today and I've shared this with you guys. That there are things that people have said to me in elementary school that still drive me today as a 50-year-old, 51-year-old man. Words hurt. Bones heal. Cuts heal. But words have the potential of sticking in your life for your whole life. And I've sat around people who are in their 70s and 80s who talk about something that took place in their teens and it still affects them. And so we need to make sure that what we're saying is tactfully and it is done in a proper way, okay? You know politicians, we're going to be coming in an election cycle, they have talking points. You guys know what that is? You ever see a politician, it's frustrating because they'll, they'll be interviewed by someone on the news and they'll say, tell us how you're going to you know, handle the military thing. Well, I'm telling you that I'm going to lower taxes and you're like, 
Well, what about the military part? Well, they have talking points that they're not interested in talking about your point. They're interested in talking about their point, right? That's talking points. Well, when you go in to resolve conflict with someone, you need to have talking points. You need to stay on script. You need to think through what you're going to say and how you're going to say it. If you get caught up in the emotion of it, you're going to lose that self-control and you're going to allow the flesh to flush out everything, right? And so when you go in to, to resolve conflict, you need to make sure that you have talking points. What are you wanting to say and how are you wanting to say them? And that becomes so crucial uh, too. You can be, it can be truthful, but it's still the wrong tone, right? My wife and I will say that it's not what you say, it's how you say it, right? And that, that's an important fact to, to kind of think through. Look at Ephesians. It says this, do not use, right? So it's not a suggestion. It's not like, hey, if it works for you, don't use harmful words. It says, do not use harmful words. But only, uh, I guess I'm reading off the wrong outline here. Uh, do, uh, do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only the, uh, that which is helpful for building others up according to whose needs? Their needs, not your needs. Remember, that's looking at someone else's needs. Building up according to their needs that it might benefit those who listen. And so, so we need to make sure that we're watching our words and the words that we're saying, is it building them up or is it tearing them down? Okay, is it building them up or is it tearing them down? The, the whole idea of constructive criticism doesn't work. No one likes to be leveled just to build you up. You're a piece of, but I'm here to help you out. Thanks, right? Stay away from me. I'm not interested in that, right? So you need to figure out a way to build them up, but you need to be truthful. And so you need to make sure that you're thinking through rationally and strategically in your talking points. Does that make sense? All right. <clears throat> you need to make sure that you pay, pay close attention to that. And let me, let me just kind of say this with the tactful words uh, as well. There, there are some, and if you've done my premarital counseling or my postmarital counseling, you will learn this. There are some words that are no longer allowed to be used in the house. So, for instance, if you've done my premarital counseling, you'll, you'll know that I will say to you that the word divorce will never be used in your house. That is, that is something that Tammy and I do. We have certain words in our house that are not to be used. And one of them is divorce. Another one is, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I'm done. I'm moving out. Any of those, those words are not acceptable. Okay? Sleeping in another room, not acceptable. So if you're married, the whole idea that I'm going to sleep on the couch in, in our marriage, 27 years, never happened. We got to figure it out. Right? So there are certain words that are not usable. We do not use WMDs, words of mass destruction, in our marriage. Okay, 
And so you know what those words are. Some of you are thinking about them. Uh, you know, words of like weight, if it's a weight issue, you know, fat or dumb or those types of things. Those aren't words that can be used. That's just not acceptable. It's, it's a word that's been banned. Okay? So we need to make sure that we, we do that. Number six is you fix the problem, not the blame. You fix the problem, not the blame. We only have limited energy, and if you're trying to fix the blame on problems, that's all you're going to do. And you can win every argument in your home and still be living alone. Okay? Just just let that sit in your mind. If you're an attorney and you want to win every argument in the courtroom, good for you. If you're a board member and you want to win every argument in the boardroom, good for you. But if you're at home in the living room or the bedroom or the bathroom and you want to win every argument, you can still live alone. You can be right 100% of the time and still live a very lonely life. Okay? Are, are, we, are we feeling it? Right? So we want to make sure that we're fixing the problem not the blame. Who is at fault is irrelevant. How to solve the problem is what's relevant. Right? So fixing who's at fault, it doesn't matter. To say that it's your fault gets you how far down the road? It doesn't. Solving the problem is what gets you farther down the road in your relationship. Now look with me in Colossians uh, chapter 3. Again, not a suggestion. You must rid yourself, right? So it's not a suggestion. You must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, and that's how it would be, would be uh, said. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from, from your lips. All right? Now, here, here's what happens. If you get caught up in the emotion of who's right and who's wrong, this is where anger reveals itself. And in the emotion of it is where you're going to launch out and you're going to talk about who's to blame and it's going to come out in hurtful words. Right? Does anybody, don't raise your hand, there's probably all of us in here have said things that we wish that we could retract. Yeah, the truth is you can and you can ask for forgiveness, but it's like splitting a log. You take a splitting maul and you keep whacking at it. Eventually, the log splits. Can you bring it back together? Yes, you can, but it's never like it was. And words have that issue or have that have that uh, the potential of splitting a relationship. Right? So when I'm angry, I launch out, never, you always, you're just like your mom, my mom was right, she said I should have never, my daddy was right, he was saying, what were you thinking, that was a bad day and a bad judgment, right? And we say those words out of emotion and anger, and we're fixing the blame and not the problem, right? And then it carries off into that verse and it talks about slander and it talks about filthy words and all that stuff. And so if you're going to resolve conflict, you've got to focus on the problem, not who's at fault. You guys get it? 
lot to take in, huh? <laughs> Good thing it's not nine steps. We would be here till 2.15. Number seven is focus on reconciliation. Okay? Focus on reconciliation, not resolution. Now, you say, well, what, what kind of what's the difference? Look with me in your outline. Reconciliation is reestablishing the relationship. Okay? Resolution is resolving every problem. Let me just kind of share with you, and I know you're perfect, but let me just share with you, in a relationship, whether it's your spouse, your kids, your neighbors, whoever it is, you will never have all conflict resolved completely. Would you recognize that? It's not going to happen. Look with me in your outline. I got this from some guy, and I thought it was pretty good stuff. He says this. He says, if you learn to disagree without being disagreeable, that's called wisdom. If you learn that you can be united without uniformity, that's called wisdom. If you learn to walk hand in hand without seeing eye to eye, that's called wisdom. And I think that is a great saying right there. Because the reality is, just as we kind of established, you're not even able to get along with yourself 100%. Right? And so there's always going to be things things that are conflicts that are taking place in the relationship. And I will say this, not every hill is worth dying for. Not every conflict is worth resolving. Sometimes you just see things differently and you move on. If you're a nitpicker, you will always find issues to wrestle with. Whether you like Chinese food or, or Japanese food or Indian food, who cares? Get a Big Mac and call it good. Right? So there are some things in life where you go, you know, this is not a hill worth dying on. But there are some hills that are worth dying on. But you have to make sure that you use that discernment and that wisdom. And then the last words as we get ready to go. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers. So God's called us to be peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. So this is seven steps of conflict. They're not, they're not, it's not one, two, three, four. You could use them in different kinds of arrangements, and they may not be all. Okay? And this is about resolving conflict with people who are reasonable. Next week we're going to talk about dealing with people who aren't reasonable. Because there are those people that it's just impossible to have a healthy relationship. How do you set the boundaries on that? Because you could drive yourself crazy trying to figure out how to have a healthy relationship with somebody who isn't healthy. Would you agree with that? Alright, so then we're going to close in prayer. But let me just say this. Um, a few weeks ago I mentioned that Jeff... Uh, Jeff and Michael. Jeff is going in for a liver transplant on Thursday, and Michael is donating his part of his liver, and so they're going to have a surgery. They're going to have surgery on Friday, and so they go in Thursday for all the pre-op stuff. So make sure that you pray for Jeff and for Michael, and that all will go well. That God will be honored and glorified. They typically come in the second service, but make sure that you pray for them and lift them up. All right. So let's go to the Lord in prayer.